Welcome to Omnipotent Growth with Cal. I'm an acting leader for more than a decade and your leadership trainer and coach. Each week you'll hear exceptional stories and interviews, as well as actionable strategies and tactics that you can implement right away. I want to thank you for spending some time to grow as a leader. Hello to another episode of Omnipotent Growth with Cal. We have a special episode because we have our first guest, Alexander Akshiev. And uh, the topic for today is leading in the financial sector, fintech and traditional banking. So I want the introduction to be held by Stefan because they have a special spark. And uh, as we are all colleagues from the executive MBA, uh, it will be interesting for me to uh, hear what you have yeah. to say about Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, thanks, uh, thanks for letting me introduce today's guest. Uh, as you said, for me, he's especially compelling. He's coming from an industry that is a direct competitor of our traditional banking business. Mr. Alexander Rakshiev, a fellow of ours from the MBA, is the head of institutional sales at a large cryptocurrency lender that serves uh, more than 45 currencies across uh, more than 200 jurisdictions. Uh, he's extremely charming and philosophical man i would say do we miss something else about you alex first of all thank you steph for the introduction um and guys i'm really honored to be your first guest i was pleasantly surprised to learn this is the fact uh yeah you did not miss anything i would say probably i can with a couple of words just explain uh, what i actually do because probably people yeah, don't really yeah, get it yeah. from the yeah. introduction it's, uh, very useful for us like uh, you can explain it uh, like i'm a five-year-old kid uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, let's start there uh, being a crypto lender, what we basically do is that we would give people loans against a crypto collateral, cryptocurrencies as a collateral. So if you're a person that has uh, holdings of Bitcoin or, or some other cryptocurrencies, you can deposit this holding with us and we will give you a credit. And once you repay it, we will give you back your Bitcoin or whatever. So it's like a mortgage on cryptocurrencies. Mm. Um, Let's start with the question, what is a cryptocurrency? Yeah. <laughs> Before that. <laughs> okay, that's a very good question. So basically, crypto, a cryptocurrency is just a way to communicate value in a digital manner. So it's truly just a digital currency. Mm. And that is a way to exchange value. Uh, and you got to differentiate a cryptocurrency from the blockchain because these are two different mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. The blockchain is just a new way for people to record and store transactions. So it's truly a technology that at the end of the day is just providing an alternative to storing transactions, you know, secure and, uh, and, uh, yeah, in a secure way. So this is what we do. We would, um, provide uh, loans for people that need some liquidity. And also at the same time, we have a product that is essentially a deposit. That we, So basically, if you have some free resources, whether uh, they're fiat currencies or cryptocurrencies, you can leave them with us and we will pay with interest. So basically, we're a bank, but like a new type of bank, uh, a bank that is global from its inception. Because as you mentioned, we operate in 200 uh, jurisdictions. So we're basically active in every major region of the world and we have customers from all around uh, so far. We have close to 1 million registered users. So people are actually really into financial services nowadays. And this is just a new way to provide financial services to, to, mm. to, to people that are tech savvy and people that are part of the blockchain space. Mm. To shift the discussion into 
uh, another direction. Like if I'm comparing your two industries, like I see one established uh, like a pillar that is uh, with fundamentals that go to the center of the earth. And then I see something new and flexible in the face of fintech and cryptocurrencies. Um, so can you tell us more about what is different like in, in the business and uh, even in the mindset of, uh, of the two yeah. industries? Well, one thing that is definitely different is that with a fintech company, whether it's a crypto bank like ours or any kind of a fintech company, you can be truly global from the inception, as I mentioned. Uh, so you, because everything happens digitally and everything happens on servers and blockchain and so forth, you can have your operation based on whatever location geographically, but still serve clients that are all around the world. Uh, uh, this requires um, a lot of legal and operational resources because if you want to operate with financial products in different jurisdictions, you got to do the research, what's the regulation over there, what kind of licenses and permits do you need. So this requires a lot of work. But once this is done, you can really operate globally. Well, if you're a bank uh, from the traditional sense, like a brick and mortar bank with offices, mm. if you want to expand, it's a lot more costly process compared to expanding a fintech business. Yeah. Uh, so this is one thing that is different. Another thing that I would say is different is just the level of excitement <laughs> in the industry. Because right now, the financial services in the blockchain are an industry that is really kind of, a, I would say, not more than five years old. And still everybody who is in it is extremely excited to be part of it. Mm -hmm. So imagine like how it felt to be in banking in probably the 13th or 14th century when everything was new and people were excited about it. Uh, it's basically the same thing now and it, it sounds just as, as, as exciting as it is. So uh, the opportunity is there and I do believe that the future of finances is digital, whether through blockchain or through some technology that we still haven't invented. But more and more the brick and mortar um, kind of representation of financial services in our world will diminish and more and more people will be their own banks and will be using services from their mobile phones. And actually banks are catching up on this. Uh, even like banks here in Bulgaria already have some good uh, mobile apps and mm -hmm. some um, flexibility for the customers, especially the ones that are looking for digital services. So this is also different. And the other thing that's definitely different is that Still in the cryptocurrency space, regulations are being written. So when you're doing a financial service, sometimes it's the hardest part of providing the services truly just creating the legal framework for, for it and mm -hmm. a legal framework that is robust and that, that is safe for the people in it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. For me, like uh, a personal experience for a few days ago, uh, I am using one fintech app, I won't say which one, uh, and I have the ability to invest some money on the fly. Like the process of uh, making all the regulations, creating a profile was so swift and uh, then I can make some investments on my own. Mm -hmm. And then I did the same process with a, one of the banks that we have mm -hmm. here. And it took me like two weeks to, just, smooth, to start yeah, the process definitely. with uh, around uh, 800 uh, signatures and <laughs> some stuff like that. I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine how it goes. 
so yeah was there a question or just a reflection yeah. no that yeah. i just wanted to uh, share my personal experience yeah, yeah. This, uh, this episode is about youtube yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me defend let me defend my uh my industry here <laughs> as a representative of the conservative banking industry <laughs> one of the one of the most widespread uh, critics of the bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies is uh, there there is no central bank or or government or whatsoever behind it um, so as as alex uh, said the regulation is still loose um, it can be used as uh, as money laundering tool. It's not regulated. Um, how do you respond to, to to these critics? Which critics exactly? Because uh, I mean, there are like a few different parts in it. Yeah. So where uh, should we start? Yeah. Uh, first of all, how how is the value created? Because there there are no assets. There are no real assets behind it. There is no central bank. There are no governments who collect tax and guarantee the yeah. the value of the currency. So let's let's. This is a this fair one. question. Yeah, this is a fair question. There is a dispute regarding the fundamental value of Bitcoin, uh, both in the industry and outside of the industry. Uh, even recently, one of the big, whether it was Morgan Stanley or J.P. Morgan, not sure which one was uh, in a um, presentation to their investors. Uh, kind of stated again that they think Bitcoin has no value and it's not an mm-hmm. asset class and so forth. But anyway, so to me, the value of Bitcoin is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Because mm-hmm. when I think about it, some of the criticism that you just shared about Bitcoin can be applied to the dollar as well. Because or whatever any centralized currency. Because yeah, while there is some institution behind it and there are like relations and so forth, there is no kind of fundamental intrinsic value in the sense that there is no gold standard, there is nothing backing those uh, fiat currencies. They have value because somebody says they have value. But in this case, it's the government that says mm-hmm. they have value. But in the case of the Bitcoin, this is the people that says it has value. Mm-hmm. And in the end of the day, if there are people that actually accept it in an, in something that represents an exchange of value and wealth, then it, by extension, this has to be something that has value in it. Uh, it's hard to justify the value of the Bitcoin from the perspective of fundamentals because, yeah, there are no fundamentals when you think about it. There is nothing backing it. Mm. It's a matter of trust. As long as people trust Bitcoin, whether they, for whatever reason, they trust it, whether they trust it because they want to get rich with it, whether they trust it because they think it's a better way to transact, whether they trust uh, it because uh, they like cryptography and they think it's secure, Regardless, as long as people trust it, it will have value. This is what I would say here. Uh, and you don't need the central bank for that. Mm. Mm. It all started with uh, valuing different types of seeds, right? So in, in the beginning, yeah. trading was uh, just, uh, I think this is very important for me. So I'm uh, exchanging it only for something that is really mm. high on the value level. Yeah. Right, so to, to shift... But bit, actually, before yeah, we move on, can, there was a, like the second part yeah. of the question regarding the money laundering okay. and, yeah, and exactly. so forth. Mm. And this is, again, something that has been a fair criticism uh, in the past. Because, yeah, it's easy to... Because of the way the value is being exchanged on the blockchain, there are certain scenarios that can lead to illicit activities. But 
their uh, illicit activities have been done even before they were cryptocurrencies. So again, you can apply the same criticism to, to the dollars. It's used in money laundering when you think mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. As long as it's a mean of exchanging value, it can be used for illicit activities. However, the industry is taking steps to prevent them. So we are introducing very strict uh, compliance ML processes, KYC processes. There are even things like KYT, which means, you know, no transactions where you can actually trace the history of a given, um, cryptocurrency and how it moved through a blockchain and you can see if it has ever been involved in any list activities. So there are like uh, third parties that provide those services. Transparency. And, yeah. And transparency, monitoring, uh, it's the difference between um, the, the, the monetary system based on dollars and the monetary system based on cryptocurrencies is in the, in, in the later, in the one that I am in. Mm-hmm. You can track everything. Everything is transparent. And uh, even though the others are supposed to be uh, anonymized, anonymized, uh, be kind of, uh, even though there should be some privacy anonymity, there are still ways to track where uh, a certain mm-hmm. cryptocurrency has been. And as long as there is this history, you can prevent illicit activities. Mm. Okay. So, obviously, we have a industry which is very um, high technical like you can go in depth and uh, you can never reach the end because there are plenty of things that uh, even the the best of engineers cannot explain about blockchain and so on and so forth uh, but there are some things that, that are common problems like in, like in every industry and my question will be how you lead your sales your sales process when you are now in this certain situation that we are all in and uh, maybe you can use it as a leverage on the traditional banking and their sales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah how how would you do it and how do you do it now uh, just to clarify you mean the corona and the situation it has created yeah, now? in general yeah the, yeah, the isolation remote and, yeah so remote work we had such a topic uh, a few yeah well actually I think that for us people that are based here in Bulgaria, things haven't really changed much if you are working in an industry that sells abroad. So as my background is in IT and now in fintech, I have always worked with people that are uh, outside of Bulgaria. And so I am used to this kind of uh, remote communication via video conferencing or chats or whatever. Yeah. Uh, when I started in 2010, uh, there was a lot more communication based on emails and phone calls. While nowadays it's mostly done via video conferencing and chats. So actually in the cryptocurrencies, Telegram is very heavily used as a, as a way to communicate. And mm. uh, a lot of the business is actually done over there. But you got to keep in mind that in what we do, especially on the institutional side with our businesses, uh, a lot of the times you transact with counterparties you already know. So it's just people that you know and you're doing new transactions with them. So mm-hmm. it's easier to negotiate something like this over Telegram compared to, for example, selling some uh, software enterprise system to a big company where a lot of stakeholders have to be involved and the value has to be communicated to each stakeholder so they can uh, make the right decision. Uh, so yeah, I don't think there is much change at all uh, compared to what it used to be. Mm. So no, yeah, and, and, and again, because of the way we operate, this yeah. gives us an edge over uh, brick and mortar based businesses. Mm. Cool. Uh, as we are a leadership podcast, <laughs> and uh, now we have a person who is uh, challenging himself all the time. Because I have the pleasure to know you for 
quite a bit. Um, I have a question for you, which is, what is your recipe for leadership growth? Like, you are a climber, you went to the tallest uh, peaks in the world, uh, you uh, did uh, so many things academically, uh, you are leading uh, in a very cutting-edge uh, industry. So, what is your recipe for, for such a growth? That's a good question. Um, I would say that for me, the most important thing is being self-aware. And it's, okay, let's take a step back. If you want to develop in whatever way, whether it's be professional or academic or personal, just if you want to make progress, you got to be self-aware because when you're self-aware, you can find your flaws and you can find the things that you need to concentrate on in order to grow and develop. Uh, so this is definitely kind of, uh, I would say, it's a um, prerequisite yeah. for growth to first to be kind of to have the desire to improve. This is definitely the first thing. Yeah. The second thing is to be self-aware so you know where to focus. And the third thing for me is just being kind of persistent. So once you identify your flaws and you identify where you need to focus, Sometimes making a change and making progress is um, kind of, is challenging. It's it seems harder uh, than you can imagine. But then when you start doing it, things get better. Uh, mm -hmm. So you gotta push through through the hard work and be persistent. So yeah, to sum up, uh, definitely the first thing is just the desire to improve and grow, which I think everybody should have at the end of the day whether it's professional growth or personal growth, uh, to be the second thing would be to be self-aware. Uh, again, a quote I would recommend uh, to everybody to develop if they're still not self-aware. And, and last but not least, to be persistent. Yeah, thank you. Uh, to reflect on that, it's very much uh, on the same page as uh, the things that I'm always talking to our listeners. Uh, and I like the comparison between the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you you have to admit that uh, something is not your best suit, but uh, if you want to improve it, then you can go and uh, make the necessary steps to, to have uh, uh, an improving quality. So if you have your growth put on the, let's say, on a blank sheet of paper, then you have to list up the things that combine well uh, and uh, just go on them. Some of them are going to be your natural strengths, but some of them maybe you lack experience or understanding of, of the topic or it's something emotional, more uh, deeper into to your character and you have to work on that. But there are ways and then if you have the desire, as you said, uh, then you are going to find a way to be like consistent along the way. So thanks a lot about that. Um, so, the next thing will be yeah. Yeah. Now let's. Uh, I'll suggest that we shift to the to the fun part. Yeah. Yeah. Banking, cryptocurrencies, blockchain technologies, and so on. Uh, so, Alex, what 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 do you do for fun? Um, yeah. What do you do for fun? Ah, it's a good question. Um, Things have changed for me dramatically the last year when my second child was born. So now I don't really get so much time to do the things I used to do for fun. Because before uh, I was very active uh, outdoors. So I was going to the mountains a lot, doing pretty much spending as much time outside as possible. 
but nowadays it's getting harder and harder to do it. So what I do for fun now is uh, just spending time with the family, going to the park, mm. playing with the kids, and uh, just enjoying the the. the I don't know, enjoying life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, before I used to do a lot of mountaineering. Um, this is a very good hobby to have. I like it a lot because it just allows you. The thing I like about mountaineering the most is that in my mind, this is like one of the very few hobbies that would allow you as a person who is not a professional, you know, person who does it just as a side thing. You can reach a level that is kind of up there with the professionals. So, for example, if you say that the Himalayas is like the biggest achievement in mountaineering, the Holy Grail, <laughs> the Holy Grail of mountaineering, as a hobbyist, as a person who is not doing it professionally, as long as you're passionate enough and you dedicate enough time to this hobby, you can go there, mm. which is not something that you can say for a lot of the sports. So, for example, for football, mm. uh, if you have it as a hobby, regardless of how much time you spent, you know, in the neighborhood yeah. playing, you can never play the Champions League. While with the mountaineering, it's different. Mm. It truly is a hobby that can cater to any level of ambition and any level of persistence. And uh, also, if I can jump on that, uh, in, in football, uh, or how some people call it soccer, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not only up to you. So there are a lot of people that are in that chain and the, the mountains are there. They yeah. are waiting for you to, to try. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so maybe a fairer comparison is tennis. So mm. regardless yeah. of how much you play, you can never go yeah. and win Wimbledon as a yeah. hobbyist, yeah. basically. Exactly, exactly. What, what attributes of mountaining uh, can you transform from, uh, from there to your business style? So basically the question is what attributes of mountaineering you can transfer it to the business world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So first probably a very important thing is just the goal setting because with the mountaineering most of the times I, when you do something over there you have a specific goal. Mm. Whether it's you want to climb a specific peak or you want to reach a specific destination mm. or do something, a specific route or trial or whatever. It's uh, more or less uh, activity that is around setting goals and achieving them which in a way is the same thing that businesses you got to yeah. have goals and achieve them. And just in the mountain another thing I like about it is that sometimes when you're uh, starting your whatever expedition and adventure or just a climb initially when you look at your destination from afar it looks very hard and yeah. it looks like <laughs> the, the self-doubt starts and you start asking yourself you know why i'm here and what happened again why i'm not at home <laughs> but then you start climbing yeah. and you start going and just the, the and your body gets warmed up and you start yeah. enjoying it and then when you reach the peak it's nice you have a view yeah. it's kind of pleasant you have a moment to enjoy then then you go back home and it's you feel this level of satisfaction that is um just uh, very you achieve yeah. something today everything's <laughs> impossible until it's done like yeah so basically just to, to translate it to how it, it goes to businesses uh, yeah the, the idea here is that things goals that are still distant from you look scary and if especially if they're big uh, you don't know mm. how to achieve them but once you start going you know step by step mm. things start to more or less uh, crystallize so this is also something that translates to business and um, what else? 
Uh, also, the qualities that you gotta develop in order to be a mountaineer uh, are useful qualities for business as well. Because in mountaineering, especially if you have more ambitious goals, the most important thing is preparation, and preparation again requires persistence. So, if you want to do yeah. something big that requires a level of endurance that you gotta develop, it means that, for example, for months you gotta train and. Yeah. To be able to dedicate months of training to one specific goal uh, builds character that then you can use for business as well. Yeah, okay. So one extra question on my side. Um, it's paramount for our businesses to be always in best shape. Like uh, you have to be able to uh, put your best performance, uh, take out the best performance out of your team because the business is very demanding. We are living in a time in which uh, uh, the competition is uh, fierce and there are new things popping up and you have to be always uh, on top of things. So it's a bit, for at least for leadership positions, it's a bit uh, more demanding and more stressful in a way. What is your way of coping with stress or dealing with it if you don't like the word coping? Just yeah, that's a very right. good question. Yeah. So first, my way of dealing with stress is trying to avoid it, like from the get go. <laughs> but it doesn't happen. No, it, it just doesn't happen. Uh, especially in some periods, it, things are tough. So there is a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And to me, the things that help me the most is just making sure that. Um, First of all, I get enough sleep, especially yeah. to stressful moments because lack of sleep can ruin everything for you. So first of all, sleep, then even in, in, in high stressful situations, and I'm distinguishing here between um, stressful situations that are intense moments of stress and just yes. a level of stress that <laughs> goes for days, right? And mm. it just stacks and builds on top. So if you're in a period of high stress that will span through a few weeks or months, the most important thing is to plan it so you can endure it. So just kind of imagine what your routine would be so you find times in the day to sleep, to eat properly, find mm. like five minutes at the end of the day just to mm. find a calm place, sit, switch off, relax, whether you meditate or not, stretch, whatever you do, just to kind of... Uh, disconnect from the outside world for five to ten minutes so your brain can refresh it sounds easier than it actually is mm -hmm. while you're in a high stress uh, interval but it's yeah. important to be kind of aware what is happening and and just plan your uh two three whatever weeks uh, uh you know plan them so you can go through them without any permanent damage uh, this is different from like high intensive moments of stress where you just have to yeah. train for them in advance so you know when it happens whether it's through breathing techniques or whatever mm. meditation focus just to be able to realize you're in a high intensive stress moment and mm. just don't make rush decisions and don't make anything stupid that you're gonna regret afterwards mm. and um, yeah I would say this is my mechanism yeah. just being aware of it that's the first yeah. thing yeah, yeah. 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 lots of interesting uh, things and uh, I very much like your view on uh, how you deal with it. Uh, it's always like a, one additional uh, thing and step on my side. It's always great to be able to take a step uh, to the side or step backwards to just see the whole situation from a different angle. And 
you not being a part of the the feelings and the part of the mm. emotions that uh, the stress is causing like if it's fight or flight yeah if yeah. exactly just to build on that the stress has a mental and physical kind mm. of uh, Impact. impact yeah and you gotta be aware that both are going to happen mm. so you gotta be able to f- kind of sense how it affects your physicality how it affects your mentality mm. and and not be a victim of it right and be a, in the driver's spot so make it kind of a from an adversity make it a unpleasant companion because <laughs> you gotta go to go yeah, with it yeah, yeah. and sometimes even learn mm. okay so Alex, it was a great pleasure. Uh, we both uh, enjoyed it very much. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure um, it will be a great honor to see you again in our show. And uh, I want to thank you again thank for making such a valuable contribution to the. Thank you. Podcast. It's been a pleasure for me as well. See you guys, and uh, don't forget to follow our, our podcast. Yeah. What was it like? Link, like, subscribe, and <laughs> yeah. share. Yeah. 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 Thank you. See you thank next you. time, guys.